Thanks for tuning in to our Cypress Church podcast. To learn more about our church, visit our website at cypresschurch.net and join us for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes for more. And I'm up. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Richard Horn, and I am the director of prayer at Cypress Church. And I want you to know that I brought some of these. Pastor Mike has been not the only one that has some of these. Now, now um, he only has white ones. These are multicolored ones, I want you to know. I offered my wife, Larley, I said, well, you want the white ones? You want the black ones? Do you want these? She said, what a joke. These, of course. So now we have the first ones I've ever bought in my life. But I didn't want Mike, my Pastor Mike to have all of this. He's got a fetish. I don't. But there we are. <laughs> um. What I'm going to be doing this morning is sharing with you guys uh, God's will. And um, this is going to be um, something I think all of us certainly be, need to be zeroing in on. But I'm going to share a little bit of my story because uh, I've become almost an expert on God's will in regards to my own life experiences, which were a little rocky to say the least. So I'm just going to start out back in uh, August of 1991, the company I worked for, had offered early retirement that I qualified for. I'd been working for that company for 24 years. I loved my job. I was very successful, and life was very good. So it wasn't that I was looking for another job or wasn't about to lose my job. In fact, my boss came to me and said, I hope you don't take the early retirement. And I looked into it and talked to Laura Lee, and I said, whoa, I think maybe we should. So, uh, I, so anyway, I did go home and talk to Laura Lee about the offer, and I also... A nagging dilemma that I was wrestling with in my own life for quite a while, almost a year by then. And here was my dilemma. I was 51 years old. I'd been a Christian for 19 years at that time. And I was wrestling with a little half of a verse found in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4b. And it says, the just shall live by faith. And so I shared with Laura Lee that I didn't really truly believe that I was living by faith, but I wanted to experience what that would be like. And if she was willing to join me on this new adventure, all I could promise her was that I would follow what I believed was God's will and only do what she was willing to support. And I said, that's, that's all I can do if I'm stepping out in faith in regards to this. Well, We prayed earnestly, and she, through maybe a little convincing, hard to say what we men husbands do, but she said, okay, how am I going to stand the way of what God's calling you to do? So she was supportive, and I retired December 1991, four months later, stepping out in faith, not knowing what would come next. So, where are you when it comes to God's will in your life? Okay, is it clear or is it confusing? Here's a definition that I think a lot of people uh, would consider God's will. The will of God is the fortuitous conjunction of circumstances and impulses. Anybody like that one? Let's read it again here. The will of God is the fortuitous conjunction of circumstances and impulses. I really could tell you some stories. I just don't have the time about people who believe that and exercise that. 
For far too many of God's children, however, they struggle with God's will for their lives. And often many of them considered a great mystery in their lives. So the question is, is God's will for you a mystery to you? Okay? Would you describe it possibly as Sir, like Sir Winston Churchill once described the former Soviet Union? Here's what Winston Churchill said. It is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. So is that how you consider God's will for your life? A riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Well, I hope not, but if if that is the case, then I'm here this morning to bring some good news to you. We're going to work on a little bit of that, and I think uh, you'll be happy that when we're finished with this, because uh, God literally wants you to know his will for your life. He's not hiding it. It's not really a mystery, but to discover it, you must pursue God's will, God's way. It's the only way it's going to work. Now, what, I'm going, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to discover in the morning message God's universal will that all of us should be engaged in, and then we'll see what God's specific will is for our life. Now, our text for this morning is Proverbs chapter 3, and it's verses 5 through 8. Now, how many of you in here already know Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6? Proverbs chapter 3, there's one, 5 and 6, some more, 5 and 6. It say, okay, excellent. And, and what does it say? Trust in the Lord. In fact, I want everybody to read it up on the screen with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Amen? All right. Now, there's a couple of more verses that I think are really, really helpful. They're called 7 and 8. And so I want you to read those with me as well, shall we? Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and what? Depart from evil. And if you do, it will be what? Health for your flesh and strength for your bones. Now, brothers and sisters, there's four commands, positive things to do, and two warnings. So as we go through the message this morning, what I encourage you to do is do a self-evaluation in your own life as to whether or not you're literally living up to God's four universal wills before we ever begin to get too excited about God, what is your will for my life? Now, the problem with the boy here is he jumped in, what is the will for your life? And then I found out that uh, God's will and my will weren't always the same. (laughs) Uh, But we'll get into that in just a few moments. So, here's what I thought. I was trying, at that time, to live by faith, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. However, to be brutally honest... I thought that I already figured out God's will for my life. Now, if you will pay close attention, those of you that really care and really want to know, I I will save you an awful lot of frustration to where if you will just don't make my mistakes, but just make your own, you'll be further ahead. You only have to make half of them, okay? Now, I expected God 
to lead me to a Christian organization and use my talents, my skills, my abilities, and my experience for 24 years in the printing industry to work in one of the departments of one of the 13 companies, uh, Christian organizations that I supported financially and had this wonderful, nice little resume and this wonderful introductory letter, mail it off to them and sit back and see which one I would choose to work for. You know what God did with that, don't you? <laughs> I, I, I said, Laura Lee, did you do this? And she said, no. Anyway, I think God went like that, file 13 for 13 letters going off to people. I never even heard back from any of them. But anyway, it's another story. It's too long to, to take the time right now. And so all of a sudden, I found out that God took me up on my desire to live by faith because I thought I would be hired within three months. And my wife was all in whatever I wanted to do as long as she wasn't included. Well, his plan was far different than my plan. He didn't buy into my expectations. He didn't buy into my assumptions. In fact, it was just the opposite. I told my wife, oh, me, we men are so rotten. I told my wife, honey, I would go from working with this company into working for this other company, I'm sure, within three months. We are so full of hot air. But anyway, regardless of that. And so God had a, has a sense of humor, and he took me up on that. And I was... Uh, struggling and trying to discover what God's will was for three years, okay? So when you want to live by faith, you have to be prepared to uh, really pray a lot and cry out to God a lot and to see what doors and windows open, all that sort of thing. So anyway, and but what I want you to share with you today, we must do what God is calling us to do God's way. He wants us to know his will for our lives. He is not hiding that, but he says there is a way in which you can discover it, and that is to follow his instructions in his love letter to us, the word of God, the Bible. Now, I assumed I would retire, like I'd mentioned, and, and, and do all these sorts of things, but it didn't happen that way. As I'd mentioned to you, I was out of, uh, wasn't employed for Actually, three years, and believe it or not, my poor wife was in it with me, like it or not, because God does truly have a sense of humor. Now, the rest of the message is designed to help you discover God's secret of God's will for your life as you come to grip with the wisdom found only in God's word for you. Now, have you ever sought God's will only to become frustrated and discouraged? Now, by a show of hands, how many of you ever prayed, Lord, what is your will for my life? Anybody besides me ever foolish enough to pray that? Oh, I'd love to have good company. That's hallelujah. That's wonderful. Uh, for some of you, that's actually the wrong question. Unless you're already consistently living out God's universal will. So, what we need to do in regards to that is drop off the last three words for my life and then focus on the first four, what is God's will? Now, that is our introduction, and now we're going to be looking at 
four of seven scriptures that specifically state God's universal will. Now, in fact, the will of God, God's will, Father's will, occurs some 27 times in the New Testament. Thus, there is more to God's will than these four. However, if you ignore them, then it's highly unlikely that you ever be able to discover or find God's specific and unique will for you because you haven't even obeyed what he is the universal will. So the first one should be obvious to all of us in here this morning. God's will is that you be saved. That makes sense. It's got to be first. God's will is that you be saved by believing in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Now, in John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last days. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, that expression of God's desire is what we would call God's wish, not his decree. Because indeed, if it was God's decree, every person that was ever born would be a Christian. Because um, if he's sovereign, that would be the case. However, it is his desire. So when a person receives God's gift of eternal life, through the sacrificial death of his son on the cross, John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as receive him, they, be, um, they have the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So a person isn't born a Christian. A person can become a Christian when they receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I know that from my own personal experience. For 32 years, I thought I was a Christian. At 32 years old, God took mercy on me, and I became a Christian. So I'm speaking from existence here. And my question then, have you received God's gift of eternal life for yourself and have then been born spiritually from above and are part now of the family of God? If you are, then the next step is for you. It's number two. God's will is that you be sanctified. Sanctified. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 to 5 says this. Finally, brethren... We urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus shared this with Paul and Paul shared it with them and now we have in our Bibles and and we have that same information as well. Here it comes, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, sanctification means separation. Separation in in regards from the secular and sinful world in which you live in and be set apart for sacred purposes that God has already ordained that we should walk in then. You find that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. That continues with this scripture. 
that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passions of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Now, now that's pretty direct, pretty strong, and pretty obvious. However, it's not necessarily followed by even God's children. So, what I thought I would do is to paint for you a descriptive mental picture of what this looks like in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. You don't have time to turn there because I'm going to keep moving. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. It reads, ready? Dead flies putrefy perfumes ointment. Woo! And thank to high heaven. Okay? And it causes, uh-oh, and causes it to give off a foul odor. You ladies who smell perfume, you don't want to buy that one, okay? Now, that's what it's like in the nostrils of our Heavenly Father when his children engage in passions of lust of the flesh. We don't sometimes get it because we're too comfortable with what we rationalize and what we justify. Now, it continues here, though. Uh, I have to find my place. Here we are. So does a little folly, that's how we might look at things like this, to one respected for wisdom and honor. Now, when we come here Sunday mornings, we're all dressed up, and we're all looking all spiffy and, and stuff like that, and we can put on a shine, we can put on a show, but God sees the heart and the mind, and he knows where we literally are in our relationship with him in this area of being sanctified, set apart for his use. See? Now, as and if we engage in sexual immorality, it stinks to high heavens in the nostrils of God. But just a word to help us out here, okay? Help us out here. Help us, Richard. Need a little help. There are three parts to your salvation. Hopefully all of you know that. There is justification, sanctification, and glorification. The first and the third are instantaneous. When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're so-called dying to self. And you have God, the Holy Spirit, coming and dwell you, and you're born again or born spiritually from above. Glorification, in which you die physically or you're raptured and you go to heaven and get a glorified body and that flesh is gone. Sanctification is that middle process which takes a lifetime <laughs> until God has called us home to work on being conformed to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sanctification is a process, and we need to know that. And if you're saved, brothers and sisters, you're a work in progress. 
and you haven't arrived yet either. Now, my wife would tell you real quick, I haven't, but we're working on that too. So I'm not up here throwing stones. I'm up here looking at a mirror. Okay. But listen to this old Scottish prayer. I think it'll sum up for us pretty good. It says, Lord, I ain't what I'm going to be. That's our glorification. And I ain't what I want to be. That's our sanctification. But I ain't what I used to be. And that's when we were lost and in the flesh all the way. Can I get an amen from anyone? Anybody? Hallelujah. Thank you. Earlier I had Annie in here and it was wonderful. Okay. So I I need a little help. You got to feed the boy or he'll just will. Okay. Now, you came into this world. I came into this world a sinner. And now, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ and we're saved, God calls us. This is so fun. Hello, saints. Now, husbands and wives don't be looking at each other. You live with each other. We understand that. Hello, saints. So you are a saint in the sight of God because he sees the finished product. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who had begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. So hallelujah, praise the Lord. He hadn't finished with any of us yet. Now, however, that said, God is very clear as to how he expects his children to live who are indeed dwelled by the Spirit of God and conduct ourselves in this fallen world because of the enormous price that his son was willing to pay, which we sung about this morning, to redeem us. And he expects us to live in a manner that glorifies him and fulfills our pur- the purpose that he has for each and every one of us. Dr. Uh, Emerson Egridge, who is best known for his seminar and, and also his book, Love and Respect. Anybody familiar with him, that book, Love and Respect? It is phenomenal, isn't it, Ron? Uh, he is just tremendous. Well, anyway, he also wrote a book on, on the will of God. And here was a question that he asked. And so since he asked it, I feel the freedom to ask the same one to us as well. Here it is. Does your faith determine your sexual behavior? Or does your sexual behavior determine your faith? Got real quiet in here. Then he quotes Mark Regan's book, Cheap Sex, The Transformation of Men, Marriage, and Monogamy. He quotes, atheistic science is not killing the faith of our young people. But sex outside of marriage is. It deadens their religious impulse. He then gives some statistics that may startle you, may not. They don't startle me, unfortunately. 23% of churchgoers say they're unsure whether living together outside of marriage is immoral. 20% of, 20% of, 23% of us guys believe that. One-fourth, 25%, aren't willing to condemn pornography, which destroys intimacy in marriage. I know. My heart is broken. Over that. Where I have a daughter 
with five children that is no longer married because of a husband that was a missionary who was engaged in that. I said, I'm all too familiar with this stuff. He also found that 90% of American young people are engaged in sex before marriage. 90%. No percentage on those who claim to be Christians. Dr. Edgard, speaking to 3,000 men and women in France, said this. Women, listen. This is for the women. A woman moves in with a man to prove to him that she loves him. I'm going to repeat that. A woman moves in with a man to prove that she loves him. Now, women, listen to the second one as well. A man moves in with a woman to determine whether he loves her. A man, according to statistics, moves in with a woman to determine whether he loves her. When he said that to this 3,000 men and women that were at his conference, there was an audible gasp of air from the women. An old country preacher put it this way. When God says no, he means don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. God in his word warns us in Mark chapter 7 verses 20 to 23. Sexual immorality has the power to defile the whole person. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, wrote, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but an immoral man sins against his own body. For those who are engaged in immoral passions are hurting themselves and everyone else that they touch in life. Now, as we turn to the third universal will of God, I want you to listen to a quote from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. So we're turning a page, get a little bit more comfortable. I might hear people breathing again. And so I want you to listen to this verse, and then when I'm through, tell me what I left out, okay? So this is participation time. Wake up, wake up, get off your cell phones. Here we go. All right? So I'm going to quote it. You listen intently, and then you tell me what I'll leave out. Ready? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplications. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Okay, class, what did I leave out? Thank you. Now let's all say it with thanksgiving. I want to ask you a question. Are you a thankful person? Or are you a grumpy person? Thankful or grumpy? Now, the third will, 
universal will, is God's will is that you give thanks in every situation. Ephesians 4.30 says, give thanks for all things. There's really no escape here, <laughs> okay? But listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 18. How many have memorized that? 1 Corinthians 5, 16 and 18. It is just delightful. Here's what it says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, if you do not already have a life verse, I highly recommend this one. Because it will take you from a grumpy to a joyful person. When you start repeat, repeating that, so we're going to look at them real quickly, one at a time. Rejoice always. Does it require a vibrant, outgoing personality? Many quiet people are contagiously joyful. And the person that comes to my mind when I think of this is their own Dot Slagle. I love rubbing shoulders with that lady. And she is joyful. And she amazes me. God should have made a whole bunch of her. But anyway, he could have replaced me with a bunch of her, and that would have been better for everybody. But anyway, here we go. You see, their joy is reflected in and sustained by an optimistic outlook in this life and the next life to come. This kind of joyful perspective enables them to live above their circumstances and see beyond their difficulties. A Jesuit priest wrote this. Joy is the sure sign of the presence of God in your life. Remember the one? Remember the little children's song? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Remember that? Yeah. Well, you know what? Well, how did we grow up and, and, and not do that? I ought to have Abby up here doing that. She'd be bouncing all over the stage. I'm telling you what, that, that girl is amazing. I love that girl. But anyway, um, we better move on. She's liable to come up here and do that. Okay, next one is pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. You've got to be kidding, pray without ceasing. See, I didn't write God did. Okay, but it doesn't mean just going around like a monk mumbling prayers all that. that that's not it at all. Uh, Chuck Swindoll writes this, real joy emerges from the heart that's free from burdens. And the only way to be free from burdens is to release them through continual prayer. When you work for a boss that is riding you and looking for an excuse to fire you, or when worry is overwhelming you and fear overtaking you and impatience beginning to hound you, pray short prayers of trust in the Lord. Now, I wrote this prayer really briefly for you. It isn't in your notes. I wish I'd have put it in there, but I didn't. But I was asking God how, because I spend a lot of time in the prayer room. I am the kind of the prayer guy around here. Um, but, but, but here's what I wrote. Just, just kind of, maybe just shut your eyes and even listen. See if God will help you with this. This kind of prayer life is tremendously therapeutic and acts like a conduit in that it releases the pressure that prevents God's peace 
from effectively flowing during stressful periods in your life. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Just a note of clarification. I I, I would hope I wouldn't have to, but I'm going to, okay? God is not talking about thanking him for evil. Just in case you were going down that rabbit trail. James chapter 1 verse 13 makes it crystal clear. Let no one say that when he is tempted... I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone with evil. However, God does say, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, if you memorized it, say it with me. There is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God, who is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but also will, with the temptation, make a way of escape that you will be able to bear it. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus, okay? Johnny Erickson Tata, I love her, quadriplegic talk show host, Johnny and Friends, paints with her teeth, people have seen that artist, and author, sums up how a Christian needs to respond in regards to what we're talking about here. She says, giving thanks is not a matter of feeling thankful. It's a matter of obedience. Giving thanks is not a matter of feeling thankful. It is a matter of obedience. I'm going to the last one. I have something here to share with you, but I know my time is flying by. Number four. God's will is that you be humble and submissive. I don't hear any other whining besides from me. All you guys don't have any problem with submission and humility? Am I the only one? Okay. Guess I'm speaking to myself here. Let's look at that mirror again. Here we go. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 15 says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether as kings or supreme or governors or those who are sent by him to, for the punishment of evildoers, For the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you will put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, let's be honest. Submission is the most difficult of these four universal wills, but it's critical. Sadly, some people never experience God's unique will for their lives because they will not even submit to human authority. I mean, they may be sitting down on the inside, but they're standing up on the outside, or vice versa. You know the story from the kid. All right. So to be brutally honest, if they won't submit to human authority, God knows they won't submit to him either. Now, the reason submission is so hard for us is because of our nature. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, tells us that our flesh, that's one of three enemies found in Ephesians 2, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? Our flesh is at war with our spirit. Tells us that in Ephesians and other places. So if you're born again here today, your flesh is having a royal battle with the spirit of God that is within you. It goes on to say, and it's hostile to God. For indeed, it does not submit 
to God's law. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Indeed, and it doesn't say will not. It says cannot. Cannot. Your flesh cannot submit to God. It's your enemy until you get your glorified body. So don't try and live the victorious Christian life in the energy of the flesh. You're bound to crash and burn. So let me help you once again with a little prayer that I wrote. That when I'm having a challenge with that, then I begin to think of and pray something along this line. Father, I need your help right now to comply with this unfair order that I've received from this unreasonable boss. And since I know that it is neither immoral or illegal, help me to comply by doing it for your glory. And because I want to honor you in every area of my life, I thank you for enabling me to do it with the right attitude. In the precious name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. I want to wrap it up. So if you want to know God's unique will for your life, this is a quiet crowd, man. (laughs) You first have to commit to doing those first Four universal wills. There's seven, but I only gave you four. (laughs) Aren't you glad? (sighs) The trap door would open, I'd be gone anyway. That God has already laid out in his word. Now, if I don't, you know, if I don't know about you, oh, no, now I don't know about you, but I need help every single day in regards to living out those four universal wills. Every day. Because I acknowledge my weakness, I accept the fact that I'm going to be tried, tested, and tempted, and at times I fail and I fall. But when I do, I confess it. I've trained myself to keep short accounts with God so I can have that wonderful fellowship with him. If those four are operating in your life on a consistent basis, go out and do anything you want. Where do I get that? Well, it's found in Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5. Shall we read that together? Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5. Here we go. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire. Is anybody saying that with me? Can I have that a little louder? I'm done. This is it, and I'm done. All right, let's go. Ready? (laughs) Delight yourself in the Lord. And he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he shall bring it to pass. God does not say he will fulfill all your desires that are there. No, 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 he doesn't say that. He said he'll put his desires there. And if you're living a godly life, he will give you the right desires. You then will be in the center of God's universal will. And then... You are living out Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Shall we pray? Well, Father, we thank you so very much for this day. We thank you, Father, for your word to help each of us in our spiritual journey grow more into Christ-likeness. 
Father, uh, the honesty is always between you and the people that are hearing the message. And Lord, I've been living with it, and I've been doing a lot of praying and confessing. But Father, for anyone in here this morning uh, that uh, your Holy Spirit has spoken to, I pray, Father, that they'll do business with you today, right where they're at, or to come forward and even have someone pray along with them. Uh, Father, however your Holy Spirit's working in the hearts and minds of people, which we've been praying for and they prayed for in the early hour and so on, that, Father, we would not leave here the same as we came in here, but with a new and fresh insight, determination, and a desire to live in a manner that bring you glory and ultimately fulfill the purpose that you literally foreordained for us before the foundation of the world. So, Father, as we continue the service today, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come in great power, touch each of us in the hearts and lives and the areas in which we need to be touched, and we respond to you in Jesus' precious name. I do pray. Amen.